0: limited yeah i printed out i printed 200 copies i thought i would sell them and uh uh it has sold 2500 copies yeah i'm just photocopying them my local shop <laughs> it's insane i'm not i mean i'm not and i'm not you know it's it's it was just like i'm angry and i want to say something uh so i said it and people um responded to it i was i was surprised because i thought people would be um kind of sick of hearing about him yeah. i'm sick of thinking about him but i don't, and don't really see know his was...
1: face literally thousands of times a day as you're as you're photocopying
0: all these <laughs> why well, I, I uh i mean those are drawings seeing his actual faces is, yeah. is a little more problematic for me it's funny to me though, that you're still you're
1: still doing some small room stuff i mean the the apple book started as a mini comic right
0: yes yeah i and i thought uh I thought that the Apple the Apple I mean, I didn't always think (laughs) think that no one's gonna be interested in the things that you make. Well, that's because I have decades of that happening. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) I mean that's not fair. I got when when Masterpiece Comics came out in two thousand nine, I got a lot of attention and I felt kind of vindicated for this long term (laughs) project that I was working on. Um and uh and that was great. But you know, comics come out, they come and go, they're periodicals. before the web stuff would be hard to get in front of your face if you weren't looking yeah. for it. Um, and because I change styles all the time, uh, I think it's hard for people to uh, keep track of, of what I'm doing, which is what I like, but it's also, you kind of get used to being a little anonymous, which I also, I'm intrigued by, but at a certain point, you'd like people to go hey that's pretty good that's interesting it never
1: occurred to me that 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 book in a way was kind of a your your like your mission statement it was kind of a distillation of what you've been working on in a way of defining yourself to the comics buying public
0: masterpiece comics yeah oh yeah well that's i mean i had done lots of comics besides that yeah but i really wanted to make a book that was very thematically linked um I would have made it three times as long. But my wife, Criota, who uh, is a very good sounding board, said, just put out a book already. (laughs) Because that would have three times as long could have taken me, you know, I don't know how many years more.
1: How long did it take from when you published the first comic to that book actually coming out?
0: The first comic that's published in there was from 1989. Okay. And the book was was published as a collection with 12, I'm sorry, uh, 11 other stories came out in in. 2009. So it was literally, literally 20, 20 years, years from the first story yeah. that I was published. And that's not all I did. I, I've done lots sure. of other commercial work. I've done lots of other personal projects. You would be projects.
1: dead if that was all that you did. You would, you would not be here with us today that, that's all that you did oh yeah you mean I would have starved to death <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah 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 living yeah. in New York would have been difficult oh, if yes. Masterpiece Comics right, was all right, that you did right
0: right no no I mean I did yep. New Yorker covers I um and you know a million other kinds of freelance gigs and I'm very proud of that stuff but I wanted that book to be very particular and I was trying to create a unified theory of comics mm. by linking the idea is that you would read Masterpiece Comics that has these 20 I'm sorry these 12 different Uh, comic styles, retelling classic literature. And from that, you could kind of imagine the rest of literature and the rest of comics all kind of interacting and interlocking. Hmm. Uh, So in my head, the idea is that (laughs) there's, I mean, there's hundreds of stories that I won't get to tell uh, using that sort of same idea. And it seems like a gimmick, but I think it actually can be a really deep thing. I think comics are deep. And I, I was trying to, make comics that were 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 um, dense and had a lot going on in them um but that takes a long time i'm curious about this this unified theory you
1: extrapolate from there this larger
0: world and then and then what oh oh uh i don't know i mean i just <laughs> i guess i just wanted i mean the comics were so different when i started which is one reason why um the my latest book the terms and conditions yeah. book, is is kind of coming at the same idea from a very different angle but in 1989 when i did that first strip which was a retelling of dante's inferno in the style of bazooka joe i was trying to make a point which still needed to be made it's hard to imagine 30 years later now uh that it's so hard to imagine but at the time it was like i was trying to take a disposable comic and imbue it with something that had meaning. And I sort of also assumed that it would annoy literature people, because I was like sort of cheapening literature. But now, over the course of many years, I find teachers say, oh, I love your comics, because I can show them to my students. And I'm like, wow, you're the last person I thought would embrace what I was doing. It's great. But it's so different. Like the purpose of making comics that combined high culture and low culture is... Is um it doesn't it's not really relevant anymore. It's still interesting yeah. to me, but it's not relevant because that's not the conversation that's happening now. You were going out of your way to make Classics Illustrated. Oh no, I mean I in some ways I was making fun of them. Yeah. Because um, I mean it's interesting now that every comic book and every novel that's popular is turned into a movie. Because I feel like in some ways all of my work is a joke on the idea of adaptation mm-hmm. because uh, you, people hope that a movie will capture what they loved about a book or a comic or whatever the source material is. And they're always like, that wasn't quite what I imagined. And there's no way that can happen. Yeah. So by combining disparate things together, I'm always trying to sort of like call attention to the fact that this is impossible. It's worth doing, but it's impossible to get it right. And Classics Illustrated, which were, were the comics that were published for like 30 years and they keep reviving the brand, were all about, um, retelling literature. Uh, originally they were about retelling literature in a very earnest, square, boring way. Yeah. Um, and that's never what I was interested in.
1: And, and not only do you not have to fight the fight of, you know, attempting to, to validate comics, but at this point it really feels like in pop culture, the mashup is kind of the default now. Yes. You know, like, Pride and Prejudice and Sea Monsters and yes. every movie's a crossover now. So, you know, it's cer- certainly, certainly it's not quite, you know, as, as
0: maybe novel as it felt 20 years ago. No, not at all. Um, no, 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 not at all. I mean, I came out of like 80s yeah. art scene and postmodernism and all that. And I mean, I, that wasn't the first generation who was doing this. I mean, Mad Magazine has done stuff sort of what I was doing. What I tried to do differently than a lot of other mashups Um, was I was really trying to sort of keep my own personality out of it. I wasn't trying to editorialize about the material that I was adapting. And I mean, people do this now because there's so many permutations of the mashup, uh, which was not even a term when I started. But there's so many permutations of that now um, that it's maybe, it's really hard to define it in one way. But I feel like all my work has been about treating the material with a certain reverence, even if it doesn't deserve the reverence. Um, but then also combining things that I treat reverently in, uh, I, I try to combine things, uh, faithfully, yeah. but I combine things that don't belong together. So, um, they're not earnest ultimately because, because Bazooka Joe doesn't belong with Dante. <laughs> you know, Batman doesn't really belong with Crime and Punishment. Um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find things that, that are, seem like alien mistakes. It's interesting because, you know, obviously the,
1: the the source material that you're using for Masterpiece Comics, there's reverence probably for all of those pieces, for, you know, like, Dostoevsky and and Dante. Not necessarily on the comic side. I I assume that it's kind of a bit of a mix for you, that there are certain ones that you absolutely have respect for, but maybe, you know, maybe there's nostalgia for Bazooka Joe or Garfield, but I don't know that anyone really sort of respects that as
0: high comic art. Right, right. Yeah, the... I mean, it's funny. I tend to develop um a certain um respect <laughs> for the artists that put these things out, even if I don't necessarily love the strips going in.
1: But Bazooka Joe, with Bazooka Joe, you're kind of going out of your way to find like what's in a sense kind of the the lowest common denominator in comics. In that, like, it's literally something that comes with
0: gum. Right. Oh, right, right, right. And the gum's not even very good. So, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I, I but I. I embrace flawed attempts at things. Mm. I guess that's like, and Bazooka Joe does have kind of a purity because it's so compressed. Yeah. that it, I feel like it has like conceptually, it's maybe more interesting sure. than in any other way. Just that sort of weird format,
1: and it, it's a trope. I mean, at the very least, it really kind of it perfected that joke it, you know th- in culture there's just kind of an idea of like a bazooka joe joe so it managed to really wh- whatever form it was and however low the form was like they nailed
0: it right right no one talks about pud comics yeah. anymore that was the that was the bubblegum character who was on another brand yeah i can't even remember what well, i don't remember what brand of bubblegum that was that's embarrassing i should no, know that. i think that might be a little <laughs> a little bit before my time
1: <laughs> so you know i mean it's interesting again is this, this sort of this idea of of anonymity of kind of going out of your way to not necessarily I don't want to say not put your stamp on it but that almost seems to be the way that you're framing it and that you know you're really trying to uh invoke someone else's style and use somebody else's storyline you know but when, when when it sort of comes to actually putting a book around that's kind of turns it on its head right I mean you're you're all of a sudden identifying this as your work as as your style that your
0: style in a sense is
1: an anonymous style
0: right right oh i came to realize that when i was in art school um there was there was always some teachers that were like well you really have to develop a style and yeah and and um in, and i have students now who worry about that i teach at parsons and they worry about like creating a brand for themselves sort of creating you yeah. know an approach that people will recognize you look
1: at somebody like chris ware for example and you look at his early attempts and you realize that you know that he really had to create his own unique visual style to really break through. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, it's clear why that's going to be the goal for a lot of you know young yeah. cartoonists. Yeah.
0: But that's not something that I mean. It's funny you say his early attempts because he was making really great yeah, comics. Yeah, yeah. Even when he was really but, like, it's young. It's all relative, obviously. <laughs> right. Right. No, but I mean, he's. I mean, he's been on. Yeah. Like, he he ascent. Yes, and he's <laughs> and he's someone who. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to wrap your head around all the different wonderful things he's done. But anyway, I, so I certainly thought about style a lot and it was only after building a body of work that then you can look at it and go, Oh, this is, this is my style. My yeah. style is I'm not, I'm not consistent. Although I think conceptually <laughs> my work is very consistent, but visually it's not consistent in that, in that you wouldn't know that the guy that did the Batman parody also did the Peanuts parody yeah. also did the Beavis and Butthead parody, you know. So, um, you know, Will Elder, one of my heroes who who drew a lot of the early mad uh, comic books with uh, Harvey Kurtzman and, and they collaborated on many projects afterwards. He is someone who would always kind of adapt, adopt different styles as he was working on comics. And I love that. So he kind of built a career on being like very versatile.
1: Did you go to art school as well? Yes, so that period for you between going to art school and doing the first masterpiece comics and really kind of like figuring out this this new uh idea for yourself, there must have been a time when you were really sort of trying to earnestly develop your own signature style no no <laughs> really you never you never
0: went down that road no no what see what happened was when I was in art school, I was making I was making drawings that I thought looked very derivative of other people, yeah. Uh, and then i read this great, great quote from uh, marcel duchamp because i was in art school so i was reading more about marcel <laughs> duchamp and he said you should steal from you should steal from dead people as an artist you should look for in- i i think he actually said steal but essentially the yep. the, the, the conceit was you should be inspired by artists who aren't living. And his point, I think, was that if you look to the past and bring it into your present, you can create something new yeah. by um, sort of taking a Re-contextualizing. sensibility. Recontextualizing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So uh, taking another sensibility and bringing it to your world. And then I sort of realized that you know I was making a lot of stuff. I went to school in the 80s. I was making a lot of stuff that kind of had a lot of the ratty line style that like Gary Panter and Mark Merrick and, and people of that... Um, of that era we're making. Um, And I felt like I was kind of being a second rate version of that. And I never really liked the way I drew. And I felt like I learned so much more by like trying on different styles. So by the time, I mean, even by the early nineties, you know, maybe like seven, eight years after I got out of school, I was already getting jobs doing parody work. Um, I, I did some New Yorker covers in the nineties and most of them are like specifically based on other uh, cover artist of the New Yorker from the past. So I've always been interested in choosing a style that relates to the concept and not sort of like make a concept that relates to what I like to draw. Do you sketch a lot? Um, yes and no. When I'm working, I'm doing, I'm always doing a lot of drawings. Yeah. But you um,
1: don't, you're not the guy at the cafe drawing.
0: No, I don't. I, what I, it's funny. I go to a lot of, I'm very, my, all my, every, all my interests are very conceptual. So, <laughs> So, like I'll go to a lot of talks where um cartoonists are talking about their work, and if I go to one of those, I will draw the sl- I will draw off of the slides they're showing, so I'm always sort of like redrawing other people's drawings yeah and redrawing other people's reference um and I'm fascinated by that, so like I'm mediated I'm just so mediated like everything i do i mean i'll I, I will sometimes sketch people live if there's nothing else to draw, yeah. but um, I really like sort of i really like playing with recreating two-dimensional imagery if you're just
1: sketching in default mode do you
0: automatically switch over to somebody
1: else's style or do you have some kind of semblance of style when you're just kind of playing around with things
0: um i guess i i mean i i sure i have a style i if you if you saw my sketches my preparatory sketches for my comics you would see my line work and you can see it even in the parodies I do. There's certain qualities of the way I make marks sure. that are always distinctive. Certain people have told me, Oh, I can see when you do it, when it's your parody. Cause I can yeah. see your line work and I I, I, I can see it too. I wish I couldn't, but I can, <laughs> I just, I would love to yeah. be, I would love to be an expert forger. But if, if you just see me doodling, I definitely have, there's certain marks I make that you always see. There's a, I'm going to quote Picasso now. There's a great quote <laughs> from Picasso about the way you draw a circle is your style. You know, yeah. like the simplest object, the way that you make that mark can, you know, reveal how you draw. And and, 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 and in his mind, that's a style.
1: It is kind of a, a depressing thing about art. All of these great artists over time who haven't necessarily had a style. Uh, I can't remember. I, I read a book recently about an art forger who did lots of Picassos. And, you know, it's I, obviously in order to be able to really recreate a Picasso to the point where people believe that it's an original Picasso. You have to be a tremendous artist, but you can be a tremendous artist and not necessarily have a market for it, you know, or 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 really kind of find a way to monetize it. It's funny that you say that you wish you could be a master forger, but at the same time, you've you've managed to find a, a, a niche for yourself or or a place in the world based on. Copying in a sense, other not copying other people's work, but adapting other people's styles.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm really interested in concepts. I mean, I feel like I feel like you can definitely see my style from the things I choose to put together. Mm. I mean, all the all the combinations of 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 in of, terms of, of te- the juxtaposition. Yes, of two the things. juxtaposition, the text, yeah. the text and the images that I tr- choose to put together is kind of where the where the uh, where the creativity comes from. I guess you'd so say. So it's
1: so so. I mean, early on, did it feel a little more arbitrary, you know? I mean, again, Bazooka Joe and the Inferno seems to be, if I had to guess, I would guess it was based on, you know, one of the highest pieces of literature and one of the lowest pieces of comics. And that was kind of the conceit. Sure. The way that you choose the two things to put together has shifted.
0: Uh, It's shifted, but sometimes it's just me being wise-ass. And sometimes it's me going like, oh, these really resonate with each other. Yeah so the second the second piece that i did that appeared in masterpiece comics was um a retelling of kafka's metamorphosis starring uh the cast of peanuts yeah i love that one thanks um that and does th- seem to fit together it, i mean it was creepy maybe Not schultz creepy. is an existentialist he is i think it it was shocking uh it was shocking how well it went together Schultz is an existentialist and Kafka is a comedian. Yeah. So you put them together and you just sort of recognize those, those, those things they have. So I, I was startled when I started putting Kafka's dialogue in the mouth of this bug with a zigzag shirt. (laughs) Um, And I thought, wow, he really is the same character. He's like anxious about work. He can't, he's trying to pull his life together and things keep going wrong. That realization dawned on you after you'd already started the work. Yeah, I mean, I guess I had a sense of it, but yeah. when I actually was making it, it just became more clear. Yeah. So I think it, in some ways, in some ways, it was natural, but in other ways, I didn't know exactly how well it would fit. I mean, sometimes when I do these projects, it's not till I'm done that I can actually say, oh, that actually worked. Cause other times, ta- sometimes it's like, Well, that's a cute idea and I have a deadline, so I got to do it. But I, you know, you don't really know till the end if it's going to actually sing or not. Are there ones that you've just kind of abandoned because they really just didn't work together? No. Um, I mean, I have a notebook of lots of ideas, but, um, I choose the ones that really get me excited. So then I, and I get the feeling that you might be a bit of a slow worker. Well, that's why it took me 20 years to put that book out. Yeah. I mean, it's specifically for those kinds of things because it's not just, it's, I really thoroughly read the books and I really thoroughly study the comics. Mm. And then I also have to draw them, which also can be, uh, very time consuming. I, I usually describe my working method as like slowly eliminating my, style my taste my hand from the work so i if you look at the early drafts you can sort of see a guy sort of drawn somebody that looks like you know uh, charlie brown but then by the end you see like it it should feel exactly like as if charles schultz drew it um so that process of like slowly like wiping away my fingerprints yeah as i do draft after draft after draft is what is
1: what um, is what takes a while. So but, the pro- but the process of learning another style is done through those storyboards or those drafts.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say so because I mean, so you don't you don't fill a, a full sketchbook full of
1: Garfield drawings.
0: Oh well, you know, in a way, you don't have to because you're also I, I like to sort of do all the parts at once, so I don't have to just like do drawings of Garfield in a sketchbook. I can play with the storytelling like trying to replicate the three panel rhythms of garfield while i'm also writing the text while i'm also drawing the characters and figuring yeah. out like in the garfield's case i did a retelling of dr faustus where garfield is called Mef- uh garfus wait he's <laughs> mephistoffield oh he's called wait what is he called what is that strip called anyway it's a retelling of dr faustus yeah. with garfield i was
1: actually thinking of the, the de kooning one which is sort of um it kind of turns the idea on its head right because you're you're yeah. you're combining two visual styles,
0: yeah. And I never went back to that. Although I think it's a funny idea. Yeah. I'm a big fan of abstract art, and I think I think you could do a lot more with that. But I never I never went back to it. it, it I don't think it's as I don't think it's as deep. That one didn't appear in the book, did it?
1: I, I can't remember where I saw it. We might have actually run it like a. Uh, excerpt from it on on the cross hatch back yeah. in the day. Yeah, uh, it's only six panels. Okay, so we might have run the full thing. <laughs> There's something about that that I really like. I mean, I, I think that obviously it doesn't work well as necessarily as like a long ongoing story, but the, the visual the visuals work really well. There's something about the abstraction of the fine art and Garfield that just fit together really nicely. I mean, maybe, maybe that just works together as like better as like a spot illustration. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, I don't know. I think that, that that's an idea that, that works pretty well.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have way more ideas than I'll ever get to. Yeah. So that is something I'd love to go back to if, if I, yeah. if I kind of figured out a way to do it. Um, how to, like, I mean, I could do one more strip in one style, one more strip in another style, but like, I would, if I was going to start that as a series, I think I'd kind of want an end game in terms of, like, how they all come together. Yeah. Maybe it would be, a, like, a little, little comic book.
1: And that's your other curse on top of, you know, being kind of slow and having to, to really do your research is this idea of, of not pulling together an anthology without having some sort of overarching narrative.
0: Yeah. I mean, if, if someone said to me, Oh, do you want to do a 10 page story for our book with, in this style? I might go for it. Yeah. But I, at this point, I really try to, I really try to, um, kind of have a longer term game plan than that. You're thinking as, as a kind of graphic novelist now. Well, it's, um, it's, it's a market it's a place it's a it's a picture to hold all the work in, so and, I guess and you I am. feel a sense of maybe maybe a sense of accomplishment
1: when you have like, yeah luck.
0: yeah I mean that's kind of what I'm saying like I, I always i i get nice responses for my short stories, but they they can get lost yeah. in the shuffle, yeah, so like having a bigger place to put things is always good. I'm working on a sequel to masterpiece comics, I have a bunch of stories that weren't in the first volume, but I need more work for it, so yeah. i'm uh so i'm slowly working toward that so 2030 2040 <laughs> oh uh, no I, I mean i'm hoping i'd like to say 2020 i don't know if that's <laughs> going to be possible but yeah i'm closer i'm much closer to this than i was um the first time around so it's not going to be twenty thirty. Are
1: you getting better at killing your darlings, as they say, or,
0: or you know, are you just sort of like more, more focused now than you were before? Well, I might be too good at killing my darlings, which is why it takes me so long. Because if I had more darlings, I could fill up more pages. Yeah. <laughs> if I left the darlings in, it might they might be longer. Um, I don't know. It it varies from project to project. Like the terms and conditions book came together pretty quickly. Um, because that's a whole different, it was a whole different approach to making comics. And I was really trying to come up with a different way of making comics. So from start to finish, that book was made, um, in about two years. Mm. Um, and then it was published, you know, six months later. But, um, but that was, that was like, that was like what cartoonists do, (laughs) which is not usually my way of working, but I wanted to try something different for that. So, you know, for a number of reasons, including one is that it's not, it's not as refined visually as the other books, but it's, it's bigger. It also has a, it's a different kind of unified theory of comics where I was trying to like, I was trying to um, represent a lot of different comics forms, but I didn't do it nearly as, as methodically uh, as, as the other work. But I think that made sense for that project.
1: What is the process of immersing yourself in that source material? For which one? For ter- you know, terms and conditions. I mean, you know, if you're reading Crime and Punishment, that's one thing. But I, how long were you immersed in the legalese, the, the fine print of that?
0: Well, that was, the, that was what was so different about the project. And that made it so much easier for me because I knew kind of right off the bat that this wasn't a text that lent itself to Illustration. It wasn't a text. <laughs> that made it, that made it easier? Yes.
1: Cause that's, that sounds like a barrier to me. No,
0: no, actually, no, no, that was the whole, that was the whole reason I was excited about doing it because there are many comics like Classics Illustrated yeah. and there are still many comics that kind of earnestly, uh, visualize a nonfiction text.
1: Unless you're like Crum, you can't, you can't be the next person to rethink the Bible.
0: <laughs> right. Right. I mean, Crum is, you know, a very a very distinctive visual style even if you don't like have any attachment to his work sure he's also a genius well yeah but i'm just saying like beyond that i'm saying (laughs) if you just if you just saw it in a if you just saw it in if you had seen crumb's work for the first time and just walked into a bookstore and just saw the cover of his genesis book you'd go like what's that like there's something gripping about it beyond i mean beyond all our associations and everything he's brought to comics. Yeah. Just like as an illustrator, there's like so much, there's so much uh, going on in his drawings. You can that take something
1: you, as well known in universe as Bible and, and really make it your own if you have that
0: distinct and striking a visual style. Yeah. Yeah. And he brought it to it. It wasn't like, I mean, certainly he was serving the text and he talks about it in the book as being sort of an illustration job. But he's still, I mean, he's still bringing... A, a, a ridiculously huge level of craft. And this is beyond like our associations to sort of see him after all the characters created and all the stories he's told to see him doing this brings a whole other level of meaning. But even as just someone, um, just seeing it for the first time, you've no knowledge of any yeah. other characters. It would still be like really striking and weird and distinctive in ways that most Bible uh, comics are very reverent and square and and not and not in they're not often the artists aren't as invested as he was so i just from that standpoint so the thing for me that got me excited about the terms was usually when i adapt a book i really have to study it i really try to be i really try to find some balance between the visuals of the comic that i'm using to adapt and and the and the the uh, the locations the time frame of the story that I'm using. Like sometimes I'll set things in the present, but sometimes I'll set them in the in the period that they take place. So I did a version of Wuthering Heights in the style of Tales from the Crypt comics. I could have set it in the 50s, but I set it in 1780. I mm. think that's when the book takes place. So, you know, I was trying to get the costuming right. I was trying to get the hairstyles right, at least vaguely enough so you get a sense of the time. So So when you're working from a text that you admire... And you love, and that you bring your associations to it. You want to, um, you want to be faithful to it, or you want to visualize it with a certain reverence, as I keep saying. With the terms and conditions, th- I had none of that. Yeah. I went in not being attached to it, digitally attached yeah. to it, but yeah. I wasn't. Em- Legally, maybe. Yes, yes, but not emotionally. Yeah. I wouldn't, I would feel really uneasy taking someone's book you know a a real artist's book and going you know a real author's book and going like I don't need to read this I'll just yeah. make a comic out of it um I would I, I would really have trouble with that but with the terms and conditions this anonymous corporate legalese boilerplate whatever you want to call it um I was like I don't have to worry about that mm. for the first time I don't have to I don't have to be faithful to the narrative there is not really a narrative. Did you have an idea in your head of a narrative that you wanted to build around that? No. Um, and again, that's what was so exciting because all I knew was I really, I really wanted to make a, and this is an oxymoron. I really wanted to make a real graphic novel. I wanted to make a long form comic. I had never done that. I, I come from the era of newspaper comics, yeah. which are four panels and even like old style superhero comics and archie comics yeah. and mad comics. You know, if you get a twenty page story, that's a lot. So all of my work up until the point of um terms was short. And I love compressed, dense comics. I also got that from Art Spiegelman who always would talk about making comics like concentrated orange juice where it's just like there's so much packed in like a single yeah. page. Um but I wanted to play with a long form thing. The terms struck me as a long form text that everybody is amused by because it's unreadable or like not read. It is readable. But anyway, so, so sort of going in with that text, no narrative, that meant I could bring anything to the visuals. I knew that I would have a parody element. I would get bored if it was all one style. So I quickly got to the point of thinking, well, I have to just make every style a different page. And what was great was, I could use the narratives of the comics that I was the visual narratives of the mm. comics I was uh using as inspiration as the narrative for the book. So you read the book and you build a narrative from page to page because that's what our brains do. Um you know, our brains try to make sense of the world. The world doesn't make any sense, but we make we try to make sense of it. Yep. We tell ourselves stories about what we're what we we're we connect the dots. We connect the dots. Yep. So that's what you have to do with this book. And that was so great for me like that was like a way i'd never made comics before and i was always interested in those kinds of comics this comic is ultimately very narrative but it's closer to the like really abstract comics that i love
1: but if there's a narrative that you're bringing to it it's this at least this sort of idea that you have about apple as a company and as a
0: culture is that what i bring to Do it? you think so i mean no i you, don't you, you don't think so i don't no no i mean i i think people expect me to have more of a um more of a thought out approach about yeah. what I think about Apple, but know what I, what, and it's actually been fascinating to talk to people about this because I think people bring their own preconceptions to the book, which is great. Again, all, that's like one yeah. other level of things that I didn't plan, but that show up. And I'm fascinated by how we build, how we build narratives.
1: I guess in a lot of people bringing their own baggage to it is, it seems like the idea of just doing you know like uh, going out of your way to extrapolate upon the terms of service is a statement in and of itself
0: yeah well i think it says something about the world we live in and i've certainly i cannot break free of my computer for any number of reasons um and i feel like i am sort of toiling away all the time (laughs) Uh, and i even drew this comic digitally so like i was literally not literally but i was one in one more way tied to the computer while I was working on. This. Yeah. So these terms and conditions are something that permeate our lives and certainly my life to a huge extent. Um I was trying to make something that felt of the moment, I guess, like at least in terms of the comics approach, the the idea of doing this long form comic. Um the terms and conditions is something like I say; it's a very common joke that they are too long to read. Yeah, uh, so that's and nobody probably why. Them. And nobody reads them, and yeah. that's probably why they popped in my head. Um, so I, I mean, I don't know if it's that people have baggage that they bring to it, but it's just we're swimming in this culture, and it's just all around us. Um, I, it's kind of unavoidable. I guess this is one of the first, first books I did or the first comics I did were I was sort of letting what was in the world come at me to a greater extent. Hmm. No one asked me to do a version of Wuthering Heights. I wanted to do Wuthering Heights. Um, It certainly spoke to a lot of people. And I try to pick subjects. I try to pick uh, material that people have some awareness of. Even Hmm. if you've never read Wuthering Heights, you might know the parameters of it. And similarly with terms and conditions, even if you haven't read them, you feel like you ought to have, and you're certainly aware of. This.
1: I guess that's that's one of the things that distinguishes Masterpiece Comics from Graphics Illustrated is you know in a sense, Graphics Illustrated is really a Cliff's Notes, right? I mean it's it's a way of introducing literature to to kids who who just who don't know about it and 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 you're you're anticipating that your audience is bringing some sort of association to the table that in order for um you know Batman. Uh, as raskolnikov to work you have to have an idea of batman and raskolnikov
0: yes i think more people know way more about batman sure but i mean that was my initial my initial idea but um as i said if i think i i'm sorry i've done so many interviews now but uh i i said earlier about um you know teachers using it yeah, as yeah, yeah. As, yeah. as material that was surprising to me but i could i could i could see why that would I could see why that would happen. But, no, originally my idea was that you would be kind of aware of these things. I don't know if you have to have read them. A lot of people really responded to my Action Camus, which is um, uh, Superman as the Stranger. Yeah. uh, From Alberto Camus' The Stranger. I think a lot of people haven't read um, The Stranger, but they still get that strip. Yeah. It still seems to resonate. You know, I think it's... Uh, maybe. I don't know if it's—I don't—it's it's really hard to have perspective on your own work. I, I think it resonates, you know, the same way that,
1: that Kafka resonates, although I do think that more people have a better idea of the basic story of The Metamorphosis. But I would assume that, that the majority of people picking up your book with, you know, some interest or— uh, you know, or 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 some connection with literature, know don't necessarily know the story of the stranger. I've read the stranger. I can't remember the exact story of the stranger, uh, but they do have an idea of Kafka as an existentialist. And if you just know what existentialism or have an idea of existen- what existentialism is, you don't necessarily need to know the story to figure out how the story of the
0: ultimate stranger of Superman can fit in with that idea yeah i think that's right i think that's true and 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 you don't have to have read a ton of superman comics either yeah so uh that's uh yeah i i I would hope people would have a passing familiarity but i think it's become more and more more and more clear to me over the years that you know my references aren't the rest of the world's references and that's usually okay sometimes i wonder about that but um I I still feel like there's a lot to explore here, so I want to keep making these this kind of work. But I I'm curious what what changes will come about for me in the future. At what point was it clear? You know, after after making that initial
1: strip, at what point was it clear that this that you were really onto something that you were going to be invested in for a while?
0: You mean after the Bazooka Joe? Yeah. Um. Pretty quick. Uh. Pretty quickly, it it seemed clear to me. Uh. That I could explore this. Because the strip right after Bazooka Joe, uh, was the, was the metamorphosis. Good old Gregor Brown is what it's called. Um, that was like, wow, there's, this is deeper than I thought. Like, there's more, there's more I can explore here than I thought. Um, so by that point, which was, you know, probably just within a year, if that, um, I was like, oh, I could, I could keep doing this. Yeah. Because, I mean, at that point, I was like, all right, I've got, a million comics and a million <laughs> pieces of literature i could work with um i certainly won't run out of things and and um i'm more interested in sort of figuring out how other people think and how other people work mm-hmm. so i i i won't i don't think i'll lose it i can't i kind of i don't see how i could lose interest in doing it
1: it's interesting too cuz and this is actually something that i talk about a lot on the show cuz it's something that i've grappled with a little bit at uh you know but not nearly to the degree that a lot of the musicians I interview have this idea of learning to stop correcting people based on their interpretations of your work and, and, you know, and to just sort of, or, or to not get, you know, or not to not get angry when people like something that you don't th- feel like was your, your, your best thing. But you, you seem to be coming at this from a much more positive angle, which is, you know, you're actually enjoying the process of figuring out how people are connecting your dots in their head.
0: Yeah, well, so much of what I do is about deferring to the sources. So I guess in a certain way, I'm deferring to the audience too. I mean, that people are interested in my work at all is, is really great. (laughs) So I'm, 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 I'm going to give them a lot of leeway. And it's kind of part, part of my project is also, uh, just to sort of like let other people, uh, let other people express themselves through me or something i'm not sure how i'd put it i haven't really i haven't really verbalized that i remember like hearing like uh sampling and rap in the late 80s and people like um de la soul and yeah. i remember thinking like wow they're just they're just kind of like letting these other songs you know they they, they you know they'd insert hall and oats or something in the middle of one of their songs uh I think it was O's. I, I can't remember. He was Steely Dan. Was, Steely yeah. Dan is probably yeah. who I'm thinking of and I was like, "Wow, they're just kind of like letting them in." Yeah. And I thought that was sort of great that they were kind of like sharing. It didn't seem like it to me it didn't seem like they were they were taking or 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 stealing. Uh, it seemed like they were, you know, they were just being inclusive. And I think the inclusivity is something that I've always been interested in. I yeah. kind of want everybody to get along. Which I know is completely impossible, but I really like, I like that, like, that's the utopia, that is yeah. that all this stuff can exist together.
1: It's the distinction between what they used to call the melting pot, and then at one point they started calling sort of like the salad, you mm-hmm. know, the idea of cultural appropriation without necessarily, like, losing what makes you unique, you know, of, yeah. Uh you know, of, like, different, different ideas being able to live next to each other. And it's, but it's interesting that you bring up the sampling, you know, and this was something that, that. I had heard that kind of reinforced this idea for me recently. It was somebody's having a conversation about sampling that, you know, the reason why RAP evolved the way it did has to do a lot with the um, the process of hearing samples. They used to, you know, in De La Soul, the samples were more out front because, you know, they, they could rely heavily on samples. Right. Now when they started getting charged a lot more money, they didn't lean as heavily on samples. They went into the background and it kind of completely changed the course of Of music, But then mashups come along, right? Then the internet comes along and you kind of, in a sense, you know, when like Danger Mouse comes around, you're kind of getting more back into that idea of that sort of utopian sampling that you're talking about. Right, right, right. And in a sense, that's kind of more in line, I think, with what what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I certainly enjoy that work more. Yeah. The more that that can that can be up front as you say or just be like all over the place i mean paul's boutique is is like yeah. a record that just has a million things coming at you and i they couldn't have cleared all those pieces of music yeah. i don't i don't think they ever did i don't yeah. know if they ever did they ever have to settle that i don't even know i
1: yeah i think they had to settle it i don't think i don't know i don't i don't remember exactly how it turned out but i don't think it turned out particularly well but there's a reason why like girl talk for example like you get all those records for free because he can't, he can't possibly charge right, you. He has right. to find a, a different way to make his money.
0: And I also heard the argument, and I hope this remains true, and I, I I hope it has remained true. At a certain point, someone said that in the case of Girl Talk, trying to go after him – opens up a can of worms because if he is successful yeah. in saying that this is transformative, I yeah. would say it was definitely transformative. Absolutely. If, if, if a court ruled in his favor, that would just open the doors for lots of other people yeah. doing that. So by not suing him, they're actually not, they're not going into a battle that they, the record companies aren't going to a battle that they might lose. So Do you, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I that keep that lets me sleep at night.
1: Well yeah, and I don't know if this has ever occurred to you as you're doing it, but obviously, um you know, I, I don't I could be wrong, but I you know, I don't think that like well, it's first of all it's parody. That gives you a lot of leeway. Um also, you know, I adapting a living cartoonist style is different than, you know, adapting a, a story. Mm-hmm. So that yes. also gives you a little bit of leeway yes. as well. Yeah. Um Apple's famously litigious. Right. But he didn't think they were going to go after you for basing something on terms and conditions.
0: I didn't think they would and they haven't said boo to me. Um and I I assume it's I mean I I'm sure they've seen it at this point because oh, it's I've, been Absolutely. Ri- <laughs> but I think I think it's a case of I, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm assuming that it's a case of it's easier for them to just like give tacit approval by saying nothing, yeah, then coming out and saying we love this and then provoking other people doing things that they don't like, <laughs> getting a little bit closer, to, yeah, yeah. So, I think, I think that we have an, I, I'm assuming we have some understanding. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping Tim Cook didn't know, no, call you. <laughs> no. No, I mean I and I you know I I wouldn't have minded if he called and said why didn't you put me in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um but um anyway, no, I haven't heard from them and um yeah, so but I mean uh, drawn and quarterly was a little nervous about that. Sure. Um but their lawyer said no, this is transformative. Yeah. Like ultimately, he said a lot of things, but ultimately he was like this is this is this is reasonable. And and other people have suggested to me that they would just not look very nice if they came after this it's also a comic book i mean what, there's not much lower you can get in terms of like <laughs> i don't know you're Cultural. you're arguing against what you were saying before though that well i mean I in guess, the eyes of apple maybe uh no i don't know i mean i'm not i don't mean it in terms of them i i guess i i guess i just mean that as a money stream comics aren't <laughs> much yeah. i think comics are one yeah. of the greatest media yeah uh around, but I, I think is like, as a, as a, as a marketing ploy to like, make money, as it not, not really so much.
1: <laughs> it was a while ago, but Scott McCloud did the, uh, Chromebook. Did you ever see that? The Chromebook? He, oh, Chrome. yes. Chrome. yes, oh, Chrome. yes, yes oh, Chrome. Chrome. Yes, the yes. browser. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. He Chrome. He did, oh, yeah, I did uh, Google that. hired oh, yeah. him to oh, make yeah. that piece.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I had sort of assumed that someone might approach me about that. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what to say. I'm going to say it. I'll say it because we're talking about everything else. But last year, Apple put out a comic about how to, how to submit apps to their. Have you seen this comic? Yeah. Yeah. It's done in different styles and the visuals don't really apply to the text. Yeah. And, um, it was very surreal when I saw that. Um, and it, it came out while I was actually coloring this version because mine had come out. I had put mine out as mini comics and on Tumblr in 2015 and that came out in 2016 Mm. literally while I was preparing this book for publication I assume they saw mine Uh, it seemed it seemed really it seemed really related stylistically in that there were many different styles I am not one who believes in uh, original thoughts I feel like everything is kind of in the ether and I feel like we I feel like we're all swimming in the same culture so things come around but it still seemed very close to what I had done, and I don't like I like, I can't I can't be I can't I can't be proprietary about an idea that I <laughs> invented by taking other people's yeah. stuff. But it was very strange. I mean,
1: you're really through the looking glass. It's such a weird place to be. In in that you know, can you claim ownership of the idea of taking different of juxtaposing
0: different styles? No, no, I can't. <laughs> and then and 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 doing it. While relating a text that has nothing to do with the pictures. And yeah. I, I can't. I'm not the first person to do. Sure. I, I, what I, what I've been saying to people is I, the, the, the app guidelines were like drawn by six or seven artists and it was like a 36 page comic. Um, and I did a hundred pages in a hundred different styles. So I feel like they did Aesop's Fables and I did War and Peace. So I'm like, I, I felt like the scope of what I was doing. Yeah. Was broad, and I was taking a document that everyone has agreed to. Allegedly, everyone in the world has agreed to this document. Yeah. So I was trying to take something kind of epic, and I tried to make something epic. Yeah. And um, you know, they made some. They made a, you know, they made something else. I mean, you saw it. Did you feel like it was similar?
1: Yeah, but they were. But but I, you know, I I think that they were trying to make something that was just cute. You know, that that would just be. People yeah. would see and just say it's just sort of like a fun thing.
0: Yeah, I was. I was just concerned that it would make my hmm. my longer book irrelevant, but that doesn't seem to have happened. Or that
1: you know that people that had seen that first and
0: then saw what you did that yours would look repetitive. Yeah, yeah, I was concerned about that too.
1: It's level upon level of postmodernism at this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, as as we're talking about, it, it's like wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is interesting. It sounds... It, I sound really interesting. <laughs> yeah,
1: and the, and, the, and the idea of this of this this thing that you've been toiling away on in some small way might have influenced this giant corporation.
0: Yeah, well, I, I mean, the mini-comic did have iTunes on the cover, so I guess they would have seen that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just called Terms and Conditions now. I
1: promise you that whether or not they were planning
0: on being litigious,
1: that, that an Apple lawyer has looked at your book.
0: Just... It see I mean, I would if I were Apple. I would. I would have my lawyer look at yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I. I don't. You know. I honestly. I mean. I know this. This isn't a defense, but <laughs> I am an Apple fan. Yeah. I. I. I drew this with an iMac. I have. I have an iphone i mean i I use all their products I know and this i know this isn't a defense if you if you rub from someone's yeah. house and you go like, But I loved your stuff like it doesn't <laughs> it's that it doesn't really hold yeah, up in you get o j off the hook <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't speak to him but um uh but i i think if you read it, it might look like it's against apple but it it's not yeah and i mean and if intent is part of the 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 um the case you're making against it it's not i don't think it's i, I mean in a way it's maybe it's maybe it's neither pro or con yeah. apple i don't think it comes off as con i do think you can bring that um you can look at it through that lens and see things but i don't think it i don't think it exists in that i don't think it strictly exists in that if there's any objective way of looking at art
1: in a way like almost like Dadaist, right i mean you're you're working with an abstraction you you know i mean obviously yeah. all of these words were put in there for a very specific reason but you might as well in a sense be working with gibberish
0: well yeah i mean i did i did i did name check marcel duchamp yeah. earlier in this interview so that is where I, one of the places i'm coming from uh yeah for for sure i mean i thought of it almost like a metronome or like just keeping the beat to the images um, I really wanted it to be I really wanted to make something where I didn't have to worry about illustrating so uh, you know I I, I really uh, was was trying to again come up with a different way of making comics for myself it was it was kind of it was it was some sort of midlife crisis like I have to I have to just try something else like I said I'm well underway with masterpiece comics too but I was worried that I was just... I was only making one kind of work because obviously every piece is different, but yeah. every piece also kind of, I kind of had like a, a way of working. So
1: Sure, but this isn't too far afield from that. I mean, it's similar on the principle that it's combining a visual style with a text that right. aren't connected.
0: Right. Well, the the thing that, that separated it for me was thinking of one long form yeah. piece, uh, trying to represent artists younger than me. Uh, trying to sort of represent a scope of comics that I'd never approached. Uh, There's a lot of um, international artists in the book. There's some web cartoonists. There's a lot of graphic novelists. It's funny the way you say there are artists in the book. Represented. (laughs) Represented in the books. Well, I do credit everybody in the back. Like, I'm not – I mean, I'm kind of – they're kind of collaborating.
1: (laughs) I like crediting them in the back because it kind of reminds me of Sgt. Pepper where you have the key on the back. Oh, right. Where you go through and try oh, to yeah. figure them all out yourself. Oh, and yeah, you know, yeah. you flip I forgot about and... that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. I, I stared at that for many hours. Yeah, yeah I love keys. I it's love kind that. of like a game though. And, you yeah. know, and then you figure yeah. out if you got them right. Yeah. I also, I just love the idea of, of comics with footnotes. Yeah. I'm not, again, not the first person to do that, but I love, I love like sort of being able to do research based on a comic that you've read. The one last thing I would say as far as it being, not different from what I've done, but it's certainly been received way differently than anything else yeah. I've done. I feel like it has I hit, a different audience built in. It has a different audience. And, and dare I say it, it has a bigger audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it seems to have, it seems to have touched people in a way. And I don't mean touched emotionally, but just like clicked with people in yeah. a way that I. I did not see coming. My brother told me when I was still doing the mini comics, my brother was saying, Oh, this is my favorite piece of yours. And I was like, Really? Okay. Well, glad you like it. Yeah. Um, but certainly the media response has been, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah. Gizmodo probably wouldn't have covered your last book. <laughs> uh, no. No, Yeah. no. <laughs>
1: in a way that you were able to work a little bit faster and looser from a, a visual standpoint, you know, that you weren't kind of laboring over the images the way you be- were before, uh, were you working similarly as far as connection between the visual and the text? Was it, it seems like it was probably maybe a little bit looser than... Oh, it was
0: very loose. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's another thing. I mean, I really... Like, every page in the book is based on a specific page or series of panels from a comic strip hmm. or a comic book or a band dessinée, not just the visual style. No, no, there are specific pages. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go through the book, you might recognize some, I tried to put in something that, uh, everyone in the world would recognize. Maybe not like they won't know that that peanuts page is from, uh, 1972 or 1971 Sunday strip, Yeah, but they'll, they'll remember that dog. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the dog house. Um, but if you, if you're more familiar with comics, you'll probably recognize the Dark Knight page that I used, or you might recognize the X Men page, or, you know, or, um, you might feel like the Tintin page seems really specific. Yeah. So all of them are based on particular pages. Not just and, tropes. No, no, no. And that was, so that let me sort of off the hook. I didn't have to sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a story in, the manner of Hergé, I'm going to, no, I'm going to take Hergé's story and redraw yeah. it. Um, so it's, it's really particular. And then the way that I put the book together was I would, I created an InDesign file which essentially lets you lay out text. Yep. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, a file for like magazines. Books and, and, yeah. yeah. So, so I I sort of laid out the text very roughly, like I could fit about 200 words per page. Let's try to like keep them in category in the categories as they exist. You know, don't break up sentences across pages, that sort of thing. Um, so I would I would sort of break down 10 to 15 pages in InDesign. Then I would go draw 10 to 15 comics pages, leaving out the text, and then I would bring those into the InDesign file and I would shuffle them with the text that was in the InDesign file, almost like building a crossword puzzle. Like, okay, what pages would look nice visually next to each other, and what pages have enough uh, room to accommodate the 300 words this page has versus the 150 pages, 150 words that this next page will need. So it was really, like, the way it came together was very happenstance, but then there's weird resonances, like there's a romance scene in the rain, and uh, the woman pulls away from the man as he's saying something about how um, we reserve the right to uh, change the terms of this agreement at any point. So that's in the text, but yeah. it seems to be about their relationship. So you make connections as a reader, and you also um, find resonances uh, in different ways. Sounds like a more fun process. Oh, yeah. It was very fun. Yeah, It was really fun. The only thing that was a little terrifying about it, and I feared this might happen but they updated the terms while i was drawing it sure. so i had to go back and kind of reconfigure a few things but they didn't rewrite it from scratch yeah uh so i was able to just sort of like tweak things as i went and then i added a bunch of pages at the end cuz they made it longer but almost all the words were added at the very end so it wasn't it wasn't too hard to kind of uh, adjust for that
1: yeah i mean you can't get too precious about that they're not going to add any pages to to crime and punishment but no (laughs) but there's a tacit acknowledgement that the terms and conditions
0: are an evolving text right the last words of the of the document are last updated and then the date so i knew i knew it might happen it happened twice while i was working (laughs) on it um and luckily like i said they didn't rewrite it they have actually after i turned in the book they rewrote it considerably yeah uh it's actually shorter now so i like to say that my version is the unabridged version
1: There you go, that was Ars Koryak. I have no idea how many times I've interviewed him over the years, but it's always fascinating. He's got a couple of books out now on drawn-and-quarterly terms and conditions, which we spoke about uh, at some length there, which is, of course, the adaptation of the uh, TDOC from... All of the the various Apple devices for which we've all uh, basically signed over our life, and uh, the Inquotable Trump, which we spoke about at the, the the top of the show, which is precisely why he said he's uh, doesn't really uh, doesn't really want to 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 draw President Trump anymore because. You know, obviously you're seeing enough of them around and having to do that every single day um, and having to draw a comic on top of that, I, I can't even imagine. We, we were speaking about this a little bit, I think, before uh, we started recording but, you know, I, I'd just spoken with um, Tom Tomorrow and we Bowling and a bunch of other political cartoonists who have to do it, you know, have to kind of immerse themselves in it uh, but uh, thankfully... Mr. Sikoriak does not suffer the same fate. Uh, Thanks to him for doing that. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the show. If you like the show, please consider uh, rating us over on iTunes or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That will help us very much. Helps us get get our numbers up and, and makes it a little bit easier to make asks for interesting guests uh, if you got a little cash please consider supporting us over on patreon if you've got any feedback it's rilcast at gmail.com follow us on tumblr that's rilcast.tumblr.com that is the first and best place to get all of your R I Y L related information like us on facebook and I think that's about all I got for this week so uh, thanks again for listening and stick around because we will be back just about this time next week with another episode of Ryl.